What you're about to hear is a portion of this week's Pod Dylan, the full version of which is now available only to FM Plus subscribers. Please enjoy this sample. For just a few dollars a month, FM Plus subscribers get all of our full episodes, bonus episodes, plus full archives from every show in the FM Podcast Network. Subscribing makes all of these great shows possible. You can sign up in Apple Podcasts or at fmpods.com. When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. When you're sad and when you're lonely and you haven't got a friend, just remember that death is not the end. And all that you've held sacred falls down and does not mend. Just remember that death is not the end. Not the end, not the end. Just remember that death is not the end. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, One Song at a Time, part of the FM Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining us once again to talk about Death is Not the End, recorded for Infidels, but of course didn't appear until 1987's Down on the Groove, is returning Bobcat Chris Donahue. Hi, Chris. Welcome back. Hi, Rob. How are you? Good to be back. As I said off air, I know you're on vacation right now. I very much appreciate you taking time out of that to do a podcast for Pete's sake. I feel like there's better ways to spend your time, man. No, it's not. No. My wife says it's the only time I ever get to speak about Bob Dylan, so she's happy enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I, I think the show yeah. helps a lot of marriages in, in that in that regard. You know, it's funny. This is one of those songs, like a lot of times, where a guest and I will plan to talk about a song, and for whatever reason, it takes a while to finally getting around to doing it. We talked about doing this over a year ago, and of course, you know, a year ago, this would have been a very obscure song. It still is an obscure Dylan song. But we waited long, not on purpose, but we waited long enough to where the song is now kind of back in current currency, at least in a way. And we'll talk about all that. It's just kind of fascinating how that works out sometimes. But let's start at, you know, at the beginning, as I mentioned, this song was, of course, originally recorded for Infidels. It was one of the last songs recorded for Infidels. And then it didn't get didn't like a lot of great songs didn't make that record and finally ended up getting uh, dropped in on 1987's down in the group so chris why did you want to talk about this one this song i mean it's the kind of song that slipped by it wasn't one that was in my head and since the last time it was on me yet um i spoke about someone's got a hold of my heart right right and, I, and ever since you know i've just been listening to bob and I've, uh, there's been no songs that have jumped out at me to talk about again because i don't want to just come on and force myself to talk about something you know i'd have to feel right so the reason this came about and i think it was last may i contacted you what actually happened was it was at a bruce springsteen concert in dublin he sang a song that night called i see you in my dreams and it was off one of his later albums i think it's called letters to you i was not aware of the song i just kind of dropped off some of his later stuff wasn't that great but this song that night really hooked me in and it reminded me in a way of uh death is not the end a song I hadn't listened to it for a while, and I went home and I listened to seeing my dreams and death is not the end. I just thought, you know what, there's more to this song than maybe as I thought at the time, maybe when I listened to it the last time. Yeah, just through doing a wee bit of research on it, the song as well that we'll get into. Yeah, so that was it. I emailed you about it and thought we'd get stuck into this one. <laughs> and uh, as you say, there's been just stuff has come up between, it's kind of been postponed for one reason or other over the last six, seven months. Uh, it's good to finally get talking about it. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I remember, you know, of course, I first heard this on, like anybody else, I heard it on Down in the Groove. And I'll admit, I didn't think much of it at the time. Jason, MD, and I talked about it a little bit on our Down in the Groove kind of 30th anniversary, you know, episode that we that we did a, a couple months ago. And, you know, it doesn't fit on that record, you know, like, you know, for all of its merits of a song. I don't think it fits on that record at all. It kind of sits there right in the middle of side one. And you're just like, what a weird, you know, Bob's got these backup singers and, and I mean, you know, he's done stuff with backup singers before, but this was kind of different, you know, a different sounding kind of thing. And then of course, later on, I learned, Oh, it was meant for infidels. As I mentioned, it's one of the last songs that he recorded for infidels. Thanks to uh, Terry Gans's invaluable book, surviving in a ruthless world he talks about the writing process of it and of course there's a bunch of alt lines that never made it into the, the final version of the song when you know that it was recorded for infidels it makes you know you go oh okay it makes a lot of sense like i don't know if i would still if i can really picture it on infidels but it thematically i kind of see where he was going there like oh it's of a piece with these other songs and it sounds like it was never really seriously considered for infidels at any point, And none of the lineups to that record ever included this, but it makes a lot more sense. I think when you know it from that context, but I think being kind of buried on that weird record, the song just kind of as like its own, like weird little separate history, as opposed to being just part of the greater infidels period of work. And of course, you know, you first hear the, you know, the title death is not the end. You're like the lyrics and you go through it. And there's some really, strange lines in this but overall you're like it is it's kind of like a little prayer you know it's it's typical sort of dark bob dylan prayer but it is a kind of an upbeat prayer in a lot of ways it definitely is yeah it's like a spiritual song it's, it's kind of one of those circular spiritual songs maybe in the vein of something like the circle being may the circle be unbroken and it definitely fits more in with infidels than uh, down in the groove it does stand out like a sore thumb and down the groove and at the time maybe then it was a wee bit uh, as you say, like it never—it was never a song that jumped out on me until I, I went back and listened to it. And and there's more to it than first meets the eye. I think. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, starting the groove itself. I think it was touted originally as self-portrait part two. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was doing a bit of research, and you can see that. I mean, there's a lot of. It is a kind of wee bit of filler on it. It does feel like a almost like a pivotal album. Um, after that, like a holding period album. After that, you can. You can sort of feel Bob making his way back after this album. Follows it up with Old Mercy, which is, I mean, Old Mercy, I think, by everyone standards, is, is a great album. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, then, he, what came after Old Mercy? There was, I think there was that Grateful Under Day the Red album. Sky. Under the Red Sky, which for me, I mean, I, I love Under the Red Sky. I think there's a lot to love in that album. So, I mean, this does, Down in the Grave feels almost like, almost feels like a midlife crisis album, doesn't it? It's like... <laughs> You know what I mean? There was like there was a lot going on in 1988 with Bob, wasn't there? I mean, to talk about this song, you kind of have to look at Dylan in '83, and you have to look at him in '88. Like the song itself, recorded, and come here. What has he got? A 60-year career, 60 plus. Yeah, and, 60, uh, 62 years at this point. Good lord. Yeah, and the two songs I've chosen to talk about on Bob Dylan, on Paul Dylan, uh, were recorded in the one week. <laughs> no, only, <laughs> only. Uh, but here's the thing, I only, like, I didn't know that at the time when I emailed you to talk about this song, I was just like, oh, man, it definitely, there's something about that recording <laughs> session that I obviously love, the soundtrack was <laughs> not fair, and 
Nick Taylor, but I don't think they're playing this song, but there's just something about that time that I love. I mean, Dylan at this time was still spiritual, and this is a spiritual song. He, he maybe was a wee bit burnt out at this stage as far as organised religion is concerned. There was a wee bit of a withdrawal happening there, but still spiritual themes on Infidels. And uh, some of the lyrics in this song um, certainly would be similar to something like Foot of Pride, and some of the kind of revelationsy type uh, predictions that he makes. Then you have to, I mean, you can't really talk about this song and then to think, why did he bring it in then six years later? Maybe it was just short of materials, one one way of looking <laughs> at it. I mean, it's it's really the only example I could think of where he pulls something from a record that far back. You know, there's there's other examples where he's, you know, he recorded, he tried Mississippi for Time in a Mind and then, you know, went and moved it on to the next record. And there's, you know, some instances here and there, but very rarely has he gone that far back. I mean, Down in the Groove is 87 and Infidels is 83. That's, he doesn't do it. Like. No, that's pretty oh. rare. And again, it's so funny that, you know, of all the songs to pull from Infidels, he pulls this one. I mean, not that this isn't a, an interesting song, but we know we know now he had Blind Willie McTell. He had Foot of Pride. He had Tell Me. He had all these real bangers in the foot of, in the uh, Infidel sessions, and this is the one he decides to put in the middle of down not, the, again in the middle of side one as well. And those songs he chose would have probably fitted better on Down in the Groove. It's it's so strange that he picks this five years later, and you would think then okay maybe he's picked it because he knows. You know, he's got some great love for the song, but he's, I don't, it's never been performed live, not once. Nope. When he's looking into it. So then you have to think, right, so he's went back five or six years to choose this song. And then he never, you know, he, ne- he doesn't look at it again. It's it's such a strange, strange <laughs> choice, isn't it? It was a fallow period for Bob. The idiot, the idiot was like probably, it's probably his low point, was it? Like, I mean, Paul Williams, I was reading about it in Paul Williams' book, and he says it was like a year when it, Filled with the sort of semi-public activities we've come to expect from once legendary figures. You know, he was in a real low here, wasn't he? A career low. Um, I think he was, yeah. I mean, I think by his own admission, the Down in the Groove and Knocked Out Loaded were kind of just, I owe Columbia Records another record. So let me pull th- put this together, and here it is. And, you know, we know, again, we know now that that was the end of that particular contract. And then it was Oh Mercy was the first record of a new contract. And he sort of knew, okay, I'm where, you know, where I am as Bob Dylan in 1988, 89. I have to really make a splash with this. I got a new contract. And so we put a little more effort and I don't say effort. I, I, you know, that I I don't know. You know, it's not that down in the group. It's just those two records are just sort of thrown together from different sessions. And so they don't really have a great cohesive identity i mean as jason and i talked about there's a lot on down in the groove to enjoy it's just it's just all over the place it's just like there's some 50 stuff and then there's then then there's again like i was looking at his records thinking if he was going to put death uh death isn't at the end anywhere i actually could could have imagined it at the as the last track on empire burlesque not that i would want to lose dark eyes but there's a lot of similar thematic preoccupations on empire burlesque to this song. And I could see, I mean, you know, he's got a song and there's something's burning babies, but the fumes of hell, you could see this song being gentle and kind of, you know, kind of an acoustic sounding thing being the last song on empire burlesque. But no, again, he leaves it for, for the, for the middle of, <laughs> middle of down on the groove. And, you know, like all the songs in infidels, 
he was working really hard on it. I mean, Terry Gans lists a bunch of the alternate, you know, lines to it. And he had a lot of really interesting approaches to, to this theme. Uh, and there is, of course, the alternate take on the springtime in New York set. So, I mean, he was trying fun, but as you say, he never performed it live. He, he digs it out. He puts on it down in the groove and then he just, you know, just sort of forgets about it. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's a it's a strange one. Like I can't, and I mean, I have been thinking about it and thinking why would he do that, and I can't really come up for a particular reason. I mean, it does feel like this time. I mean, what age was Bob around eighty-eight? Definitely feels like a. It feel, I mean, the collection of songs it just sounds like an oddball collection, and it sounds like at that time in his life he was kind of just flailing around, doing oddball types of things as well. You know, he was going to, I don't know, <laughs> a scene. Probably about a year ago, Ray Padgett put up a story. I, I, I'm not sure uh, where he got it from about him turning up around this time at a, a party with Elton John. Did you read that one? No. Yes, yes, I did read it. <laughs> and he turned up uh, and he sounded like he was maybe a little bit drunk and he was just being Bob. And he, uh, I think Elton John tried to get him and told him to go up and change into some of his clothes. Which, <laughs> like, I mean, if anyone studies Bob or thinks knows Bob Dylan. There's no way he was getting into any of Elton John's clothes. Like, that just wasn't going to happen. But, I mean, all this type of stuff was going on around then, wasn't there? He was just flailing around for relevance. He was playing with Tom Petty. He was playing with Grateful Dead. He was appeared in Hearts of Fire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was just, he just didn't, one potential thesis of this album is it was a midlife crisis going on. Death is not the end was maybe part of that, you know. Um, after this, he he's kind of was reborn critically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the rest guy was definitely a step up, and then he got the two folk albums, and then of course he had time out of mind, which was he, he really hasn't put a foot wrong since that. So yeah, it just feels like this was his nadir. But as you say, it was recorded a lot, lot before that, and uh, in the infidel sessions. Um, yeah, I mean, he's 42 when he does this. And I mean, it's not like, oh, all of a sudden he's singing about death. He's been singing about death since he was like 19. You know, yeah. <laughs> this is nothing new. But it's, you know, again, the, the lyrics are, if you listen to them, you know, kind of carefully, they are very comforting, except in some parts. But I mean, you know, he says, when you're standing at the crossroads that you cannot comprehend, just remember that death is not the end. And you don't know what's up the bend. Just remember that death is not the end. I mean, fairly simple words fairly basic statements but again it is, is this kind of calming prayer and then you've got this the backup band i believe they were called what is it full force i think they were called and you know they're full force rotted after i think weren't the it was an overdub yeah um, yeah i mean lyrically i i mean look it's a simple enough lyric you basically lists a kind of shake things that could happen to you and then follows it with a freaking door he deaths not the end there is i mean you can notice from verse to verse, there's a small progression that starts small and local and personal. You know, when you're sad and you're lonely and you haven't got a friend, just remember, death is not the end. And then it works up and works up and it ends maybe more large and universal and projection of something horrible happening in the future. Um, when the cities are on fire and the burning <laughs> flesh of men. That's the one line oh, that you go, whoa! <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's <clears throat> apparently that those lyrics were written in the side when he was working on the lyrics for something's got a hold of my heart. The other song that I, that we covered here, um, <laughs> he was, he, he was capturing some of these lyrics for this song. 
on the same page. So I read that. I think I read that in the same book. You were reading the Terry Gans one. Mm-hmm. He must have seen that in the archives. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, look, the meaning of this song is the denial of death, really. I'm not sure if you've read the, the book by Ernest Becker. Uh, no, I've not. The denial of death. It's, it's a grim read, really, but... Um, it's about man's reach for immortality, really. How man would the conquering, conquering of lands, or the creation of art, or, or making a, a great building, or writing a song. It's all part of man's trying to extend his life, um, trying to gain some type of immortality in the world. Yeah. So I mean, look, this song's about this. I don't think it matters if you're an atheist or not, and that would still hold true. I'm not sure if you have any religion yourself or do you believe yourself, Rob? Or... Uh, I don't I don't know what I believe. <laughs> I don't su- yeah, I don't subscribe to anything organized. Let me let me put it let me put it that way. But that I mean that's one of the things I do like about the song is that it is not yeah. specific to us to you know, he's not necessarily talking about heaven in the Christian sense. No, you know, you just think death is. is not the end. Well, that can be anything that you want it to be. Yeah, I think there's value in this, whether you're religious or not. I mean, the sentiment is genuine. I don't think there's anyone, you know, doesn't see themselves in some way continuing after after the day, you know. I mean, even if it's as much as your name being called out at, a, at an anniversary or, you know, you're still in the world when someone does that. Death is not the end in, in many ways. You know, if someone still thinks of you after you're gone or speaks of you, you're still, they're still conjuring you in this world. And I think that's somewhat, something everyone could understand whether you're spiritual or not and uh, i think this song as you say it's not it's not secular in any way it's it's kind of just covering that idea yeah i mean the other thing there you were saying you could see this uh, belonging on uh emperor Perlesk. i was actually thinking oh mercy if you had a held on to it for another year you could definitely see <laughs> Lanois dealing with this it's it's the type of thing Lanois would be into isn't it yeah, I can and... picture that. Yeah, not, not with the backup singers on it, but yeah, I could see this. I could yeah, see this I on there. Yeah, it. like I mean, he does. Lanois done an album with the Neville Brothers, and it's it's kind of gospel. Definitely see something like this on it. Yeah, so I might actually cover it on it. Actually, I will. I, I will say that the one lyric you quoted in the, the, the last verse, the one line that jumps out and it's when the city's on fire with the burning flesh of men. It's such a, it's such a grotesque image that I always. It always feels a little like it jars me out of the song. Not that it's, I mean, he's talking about obviously some hellish apocalypse kind of thing, but it's just such, it, it's such a gentle song, even though, again, it's talking about something so, you know, scary potentially. But that line is so just, it makes me go, ah, and when, yeah, yeah and when I went, yeah, when I read the, the alts in, in Terry's book, you know, where he's talking about, he says, uh, when voices sound like buzzsaws and all backstabbers say amen, you know, I mean, there's like, oh, okay, I, you know, I like that. I, but it almost reminds me of the, the line from the With God on Our Side, where he talks about the, you know, in the, in the ovens they fried. It's such a grotesque line. Again, I know it's accurate, but it's just so just like, oh, that I almost wish he had left it, left it out. And so, that that line in this, I mean, it's funny when we'll talk about the the famous cover of it, who they got to sing that line. But it's and, and in some ways, I can see Bob almost like now nah, that that's the my favorite line in the song is getting to that. But it's, it's the one line I kind of go, mm, maybe he could have 
come up with something just a little yeah. less jarring. But I, you know, it's hey, jarring. yeah, definitely. And it's definitely what like I mean, you could imagine a, a line like that in Joker Man or or for the parade or you know where there's a lot more of that type of talk but yeah it definitely jumps out it's going a wee bit too far in this song it, it up until this point is comforting and you hear this and you go oh, man. thanks for listening to this part of the episode we hope you'll consider becoming an fm plus subscriber to hear the full version of this and all of our shows sign up in apple podcasts or at fmpods.com